gentlemen boys and girls of all ages welcome back to another episode of bible and wine time and i'm your host professor claris today i fully intended to have a guest with me however we ran into a great deal of technical difficulties which has delayed this episode from being released so for the sake of brevity i have gone ahead and just chosen to redo it i hope you're blessed by this episode because today's episode is all about the love of god Now, if you'll recall, in the last episode, we talked a bit about blood, especially the blood of Yeshua, which, as you may be aware, and we discovered is a fairly extensive topic, which deserves to be discussed in further detail. So fret not, part two is coming. But of course, that's not this episode. This episode is brought to you by, well, a lot of stuff. But as I've already said today, we'll be seeking the truth in love and the truth of love. I would have included a song here, but due to potential copyright issues, I've chosen not to include it. But it's a cool song. Anyway, let's get into it. What is love? Or better still, who is love? To begin with, I propose we start with a very familiar passage, at least it ought to be familiar to most of us, and that is 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to read this to you from the voice translation. This is what it says. What if I speak in the most elegant languages of people, or in the exotic languages of the heavenly messengers, but I live without love? Well then, anything I say is like the clanging of brass or a crashing cymbal. What if I have the gift of prophecy and blessed with knowledge and insight to all the mysteries? Or what if my faith is strong enough to scoop a mountain from its bedrock, yet I live without love? If so, I am nothing. I could give all all that I have to feed the poor. I could surrender my body to be burdened as a martyr, but if I do not live in love, I gain nothing by my selfless acts. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious. Doesn't boast, brag, or strut about. There's no arrogance in love. It's never rude, crude, or indecent. It's not self-absorbed. Love isn't easily upset. Love doesn't tally wrongs or celebrate injustice. But truth, yes, truth is love's delight. Love puts up with anything and everything that comes along. It trusts, hopes, and endures no matter what. Love will never become obsolete. Now as for the prophetic gifts, they will not last. Unknown languages will become silent, and the gift of knowledge will no longer be needed. Gifts of knowledge and prophecy are partial at best, at least for now. But when the perfection and fullness of God's kingdom arrive, all the parts will end. When I was a child, I spoke, thought, and reasoned in childlike ways, as we all do. But when I became a man, I left my childish ways behind. For now, we can only see a dim and blurry picture of things as when we stare into polished metal. I realize that everything I know is only part of the big picture. But one day... When Jesus arrives, we will see clearly, 
face to face. In that day, I will fully know, just as I have been wholly known by God. But now, faith, hope, and love remain. These three virtues must characterize our lives. The greatest of these is love. Wow. 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 What a glorious definition of love. Let's go ahead and look at another passage and then some deeper definitions. The next passage I want to look at is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 in the message. That's 1 John 4, 7 through 11 in the message. If you're following along, I sure hope that you are. My loved ones, let us devote ourselves to loving one another. Love comes straight from God in everyone who loves is born of God and truly knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Because of this, the love of God is a reality among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we could find true life through him. This is the embodiment of true love. Not that we have loved God first, but that he loved us and sent his unique son on a special mission to become an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So, my loved ones, if God loved us so sacrificially, surely we should love one another. I can hardly add anything to that. So let's go ahead and read it again in a different translation. The definitions are coming, but this is an often overlooked part of the process of exegesis. You see, when we exegete, we read or start with reading passages in multiple translations and then begin to dig into the Greek and Hebrew words. But it helps us gain an understanding of what they mean. And I say one of the greatest things we could gain an understanding of or be led by the Holy Spirit into an understanding of is the love of God in the sacrificial love of Yeshua, what he did for us what he did for us. You see, it's written. It's written in the word. I couldn't tell you exactly where it's at right now, but it's written, no greater love than this. There's no greater love than a man would lay down his life for his brother or for another. And he laid down his life for us, for all of us. He laid down his life for all of us, not just for us, to be saved and receive salvation, but he did it so that we could have eternal life and be with him forever. It's his life. Anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox here and let's get on with it. So the passage, 1 John 4, 7 through 11, in the New King James Version says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. We ought to love one another. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Let's get into the love of God and the love of Jesus. You see, we ought to know the times. We should be aware of our surroundings. 
But the greater calling, these two commandments, Jesus said this. He said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? To do this, we've got to know God. We've got to know our Savior, Yeshua. And we've got to let him reveal who we ought to be, who he wants us to be. And then we've got to know others. Oh, yeah. To love somebody. But you can love somebody. You can still love people with the love of God. But don't judge them. Don't judge them. Get to know people before you judge them. Can't judge a book by its cover. At least you shouldn't anyway. Some books you can, though. For sure. (laughs) Anyway, I'll stop rambling right now. I hope you're all enjoying this. You're learning something and being entertained. So here we go. Here's the definition, right? The Greek word for love. Here we go. Here we go. Let's get geeky with our Greek now. The Greek word for love in both 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 John 4 is two words in the Greek. There's two words here. Who would have thought? Strong's number 25 and 26, if you'll recall, the uh, Strong's numbers are uh, coming from the Strong's Concordance of the King James Version of the Bible. Okay, Strong's Concordance of the King James Version of the Bible. A concordance is a tool that you use to find scriptures. If you didn't know that, probably many of you do, but I'm just I'm just not going to assume, you know. So you can find those online, BibleGateway.com, BibleHub.com are great tools. There are many others you can buy from your local bookstore. If you've got a Mardell's near you, if you've got a... Uh, uh, what's mm, half price books. I love that bookstore. You can go there. You can buy a concordance if you want to, or again, just use those online tools. Now let's get to the definition. Here's Strong's number 25, which is the Greek word. Agapao. Agapao. Hope I'm saying that right. Agapao. Anyway, in the complete word study, New Testament, the first line states to love indicates a direction of the will and finding one's joy in something. Wait a minute. Finding one's joy in something? Hmm. The love of God, does that have to do a little bit with our emotions? I think it just might. He found his joy in us. And I propose to you, he wants us to find our joy in him, but also to find joy in the things he finds joy in. He's got a lot of joy for us, a lot of joy to give. All right, the next word, Strong's number 26, is the Greek word agape, from the same book, the Complete Word Study New Testament. That's a great tool to study the Bible with. And this is what's there. Love, or agape, is a word not found in classical Greek, but only in revealed religion. Hmm. Did Paul make this word up? I have no idea. He was a very educated man. And uh, he wrote the New Testament in what's called the Koine Greek. So this may have been a common word that we just have lost over time. Hard to say. But anyway, agape. Love, a word not found in classical Greek, but only in revealed religion. And in 1 Corinthians 13, in the King James Version, it's translated as charity, meaning benevolent love. 
Its benevolence, however, is not shown by doing what the person loved desires, but what the one who loves deems is needed by the one loved. And I'm going to tell you, only God knows what we really need, but he does send people into our lives who he gives some revelation to, to help us grow and to heal and continue seeking after him and to continue on this walk and this journey with Jesus. Many of you haven't even started yet, but I pray you'll see the one who loves you, who really wants you to know the love of God and to know his joy. Anyway, let me continue. Here we see love in action, right? It would also seem to appear at this juncture, this sort of love is not so much a feeling or emotion. Although, as I've already stated, the love of God, the love of God and loving God and loving others definitely ought to stir your emotions and feelings. You should feel something. You should feel something. It's not passive. Love is not passive. But anyway, it's not so much a feeling or emotion, but it is. It is. It's also a choice or an act of the will. You see, when our feelings align with his feelings, then we begin to be moved by compassion. Jesus was moved by compassion. So love, right? Love is a verb, but we're moved by compassion. Anyway, for all the old school Jesus freaks out there, you would do well to remember love is a verb. <laughs> Truth seekers, free thinkers. Let's not give up our quest to seek out meaning and definition just yet. In fact, I'm not giving up at all. I'm just going to move on ahead and check out Thayer's Greek English Lexicon of the New Testament. Again, that's Thayer's Greek English Lexicon of the New Testament. And I believe you can find a picture of that on my Facebook page. And if not, I'll put one up there for you so you can check it out. Anyway, on page four... Strong's number 25 in Thayer's Greek English Lexicon of the New Testament. How many times can I say that in a minute? <laughs> Strong's number 25. Again, that's the word agapao. There are two lines here I find quite interesting and revealing. The first one is this. With an accusative of the thing, agapao denotes to take pleasure in the thing. Prize it above other things. Be unwilling to abandon it or do without it. All right. Here's the next one. And this one's a bit shorter. To welcome with desire. Long for. That sounds to me like an emotional response. Like a longing, right? So what are we longing for here? Well, I propose those two lines are talking about love longing for truth, which we have already seen in 1 Corinthians 13. Love. Let's look at it again. Let's look at it again one more time, just so we can see it. 1 Corinthians 13, I believe it says, love delights in truth, right? That's the voice. Love delights in truth. Let's keep going, though. Let's keep going, though, to see what else we can see, see what else we can learn. This is what Thayer's Greek English lexicon has for Strong's number 26. Again, that's the word. Agape, agape, all right? And I see this here, affection, goodwill, love, benevolence. Now check it out, affection is there. So this agape, 
which uh, Paul says is the love of God, is affection. He's affectionate towards us. God is affectionate towards us. If you remember, if you remember, I believe it was in the book of Matthew, it was talking about Jesus' birth around that time. The shepherds in the field, they saw angels in the sky. They saw angels and a heavenly choir, and they saw a heavenly host, and they heard this peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. I couldn't tell you exactly what that means, but I think it means God loves us. You see, God is holy love, a love that's indescribable, a love that's exotic and rich in nature. (laughs) And his nature is summed up in love. We allow him to reveal that to us, to reveal his love to us. We come into a much greater understanding of who he is and what he desires for us. He wants the best for us. He wants the best for us. He desires above all things that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) let's move on. I see two more verses here from the chapter in 1 John containing prior passage we already looked at. Let's see what they have to say about this. This would be, oh, wait a minute. It's three verses, three verses, not two. Excuse me. But anyway, verses 16 through 18 in the voice Bible. Again, remember, this is 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 in the voice Bible says, We have experienced and we have entrusted our lives to the love of God in us. God is love. Anyone who lives faithfully in love also lives faithfully in God and God lives in him. This love is fulfilled with us so that on the day of judgment, we have confidence based on our identification with Jesus in this world. Love will never invoke fear. Perfect love expels fear, particularly the fear of punishment. The one who fears punishment has not been completed through love. Now, I want to tell you right now, this is a lifelong process. It can be a lifelong walk. And there is such a thing is the fear of God. It's mentioned in the book of Isaiah. I believe it's Isaiah chapter 11. Don't quote me on that. But there is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And that's the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom starts, is the fear of the Lord. Not the fear of punishment. Don't fear man. Fear God. And if you've got to walk in the fear of God until it becomes the awe and wonder of God, that's all right. You can do that. But you don't have to be afraid of being punished once you go through Yeshua. It says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Right? This is written in the book of Romans. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you shall be saved. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you shall be saved. Okay? He is salvation for all of humanity. Hear me now. Yeshua is our salvation. All you got to do, all you got to do is ask him for it. He's the faithful one. He'll lead us and guide us. Yes, the path is straight and narrow. That is for sure. But he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Don't be afraid. All right, let's move on though. Perfect love casts out all fear, folks. And God's love is always perfect. Anyway, all this has been interesting and insightful. Oh, wait a minute. Never mind. I got to skip over that. 
I was about to say something that wasn't accurate. We've already seen that love desires truth. In 1 Corinthians 13, love delights in truth. If love delights in truth, there's a desire for you to know truth. There's a desire for me to know truth. He wants truth in our inward parts. We'll get to that here in a minute. Well, let's go ahead and look at Vine's complete expository dictionary of Old and New Testament words. Again, another great tool to study the Bible with. If you've got it, use it. If you don't have it, that's fine. You can actually find most of these tools online. Um, Again, BibleGateway.com and BibleHub.com are my two favorites. If you've got something out there that you enjoy using, please go ahead and share that with the rest of us. This is what Vines has to say, though. Love can be known only from the actions it prompts. God's love is seen in the gift of his son, in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. But obviously, this is not the love of complacency or affection. That is, it was not drawn out by any excellency in its objects. Romans 5, 8. That's what it says there. It was an exercise of the divine will in deliberate choice made without assignable cause, save that which lies in the nature of God himself. Mm. Mm. That's true. That's true. I'm not sure how much of that I agree with completely, but there's a lot of value in looking at this. If you can see the value in what we're saying here, what's being said here, love can only be known from the actions it prompts. Now, I believe in us, We ought to know love. First of all, we know if love is true in us when we're moved to do something out of compassion for others. And we really always ought to be weighing our own motives and putting them before God, saying, hey, am I right? Is this right? Always be walking with him, minute by minute, step by step. You just do what you can and trust him to lead and guide you. It's written that he directs the steps of the righteous. God directs the steps of the righteous. And if we're made righteous by faith in Yeshua, we're saved by faith through grace. And this is not of us, but it is the gift of God. He gives you this gift to be saved by faith through grace. It's good news, folks. It's really good news. But anyway, love can be known only from the actions it prompts. And I would say on the outside or on the surface of a person, this may be true, but it's hard to know what a person's intentions are without really knowing them. So is that 100% true? I'm not sure about that one. God's love is seen in the gift of his son. And I agree with that statement wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. Now it says, obviously, this is not the love of complacency. And that's true. Now, the next thing, not the love of affection. Well, no, I, I, I think God's love does involve affection. He's affectionate towards us. He cares for us. He loves you. He even likes you. Bet you didn't think about that one. Did you know God likes you? Who knew? God likes you. He wants to be your friend. That's right. Anyway, take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt, though. Look it up for yourself. Go ahead and study for yourself. I'm just a humble theologian here. (laughs) Study the word out and just got something to share with you. Anyway, let's move on. So we've seen that love desires truth. Yeah, we've seen that. However, our quest is not over yet. Agape. We've seen this, agape and agapao, those two Greek words for love in 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 John chapter 4. They're not passive, indifferent, or neutral. Love is actually quite active 
And I suppose a more accurate statement according to 1 John would be this. God is love. That's the Greek word agape. And God is not passive, indifferent, or neutral. God actually cares about us. I think I just said that. But you know what? It serves to be said again because that's good news. That's good news. God cares about us. God cares about you. God loves you. And you know what? Through that love, I'm enabled to love you too. I find it hard sometimes to always like people, but you know, that's just a human characteristic. <laughs> anyway, let's see if we can find anything in Scripture. Anything else in Scripture, you know? Look at the book of 1 John again, as far as I know. Um, uh, in Christianity, we consider the New Testament Scripture. We would say that these letters were inspired letters. Or at least they have value to us because they reveal to us the life of Yeshua and give us the good news. I would call it, I would call it scripture. Um, so we've, we've got this whole book we need to be looking at called the Bible. It's more important to know him, know God, but read that Bible too. You'd learn a lot. You learn a whole lot. You learn what he wants. You learn what he wants in his word. That's good stuff. Where am I at? Apparently, I did a Google search. Instead of pulling something up in the New Testament, I found something in the book of Psalms. Oh, hey, Psalms chapter 51.6 in the Amplified Version. And this is to reinforce that love delights in truth. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part of my heart. You will make me know wisdom. Again, that's Psalms 51. Six, in the Amplified Version, or Amplified Translation. I'll read it one more time. Behold, you, oh, David, I believe, wrote this book. Right? This was a Psalm of David. Maybe not. Don't quote me on it. I have to look at it again. But when you was written there, that you is referring to God. He said, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part of my heart, you will make me know wisdom. In my opinion, that is a reference to God. God desires truth in the innermost being and in the hidden parts of our hearts. Did you know that your heart got parts? We can see that in the natural realm. What would make you think it's any different in the spiritual? And can't see everything in our physical bodies. Probably the same in the spiritual realms. Excuse me. You know what? He's the one that makes us know wisdom. And as long as we're chasing him, He's faithful. Jesus is faithful to do this. He's the faithful one. Anyway, here's some extra scriptures, some references, you know, in the voice. <clears throat> We've got John 15, 12. It says this. Again, this is a voice translation, John 15, 12. My commandment to you is this. Oh, Jesus said this. Love others as I have loved you. There is no greater way to love than to give your life for your friends. Hey, I already said that one, but there it is, just so you know. It's uh, John 15, 12 and 13 in the voice. Anyway, moving on, Psalms 51, 6 is quite pointed. We see again that love desires truth. Rather, he wants truth to be in us. And I'll tell you this much. Jesus said this about himself. He says, he is the way, the truth, and the life and that no man comes to the Father but by him. No man comes to the Father but by him. 
That's what he said. I don't believe it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He presents us to the Father. He presents us. He is the one. He is the word. That's in 1 John chapter... 1 John? <laughs> it's not in 1 John. That's in John chapter 1. <laughs> anyway, let's get through this. As I said, Psalms 51.6 is quite pointed. God desires truth, or rather he wants truth to be in us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And as we read in 1 John 4, God is love. And according to 1 Corinthians 13.6, love delights in and celebrates with truth. So love desires truth. So truth seekers and free thinkers, if you want to know more, you know what to do. Read the word, biblehub.com, biblegateway.com. Vines, complete expository dictionary of Old and New Testament words. There's Greek English lexicon of the New Testament. And also, uh, the other one I mentioned. Hey, you know what? Go back and check it out again. I'll mention it again for sure. But right now, without further ado, it is time for the wine. And the wine that I'm reviewing today actually comes from a winery in Sulphur, Oklahoma. Fantastic. The name of the winery, I believe, is, oh, it says right here on the bottle, the Rusty Nell Winery. And uh, I believe the name of the wine is Boogie Shoes. Got a big red high heel on the front. Looks like a stiletto. Pretty neat. And it's a sweet red wine. So let's see what they have to say about this wine here. Mmm. Mmm. Well, there's no flavor description, so I'm just going to have to taste it for you and let you know what my opinion is. Well, it is definitely sweet, but it's not like overly sweet. So if you're kind of into more of the dry wines, but you occasionally like a sweet wine, I think this one is a wine, but it's like a nice cordial. Let's see what other flavors I can pick up in it. Mmm. I would say it's pretty light. It's very smooth. It doesn't really have any burn, which I like. I mean, I like things like ports as well, but I, you know, I like sweet wines. I'm more of a dry guy, but this one is, it's pretty good. I don't have the most discerning palate. One thing I will tell you is that I did not use an aerator for this and I did not use an aerator glass. So the unique flavors of this wine aren't really hopping out to me just yet although i think i'm picking up on some kind of berry flavor in there i'm not sure which one little bit of vanilla maybe and hmm, this might sound wild but my palate which isn't the perfect palate it seems to discern like a something kind of like cinnamon but maybe not there's like there's some, some kind of spice in here but i'm not sure what it is it's a delightful and light um sweet wine Sweet red wine, not overly sweet. It's so it's not just like it's it's not just gonna overcome you with sweetness. It's um it's dry enough. A great dessert wine, a great evening wine, or even I would say in the summer if you're hanging out with your friends, just having a glass of wine outside, this would be a great glass of wine to have outside. This is probably a pretty good all arounder. That's it for my wine review. Again. The Rusty Nail Winery, Sulphur, Oklahoma. Check it out. That's it for today. I hope you've been blessed and you've learned some stuff and you've been highly entertained. This is Bible in Wine Time. 
I'm Professor Claris. God bless you. You have a great day.